0: everybody thanks for joining us today my name is kent swanson this is the arrowhead pride laboratory mailbag answering your questions getting closer and closer to the season 32 days away today that means it's 31 days on monday when you're probably hearing this we are getting close and here to celebrate that fact is my dear pal first i know it's not even first that's just that's just that's just mechanics i'm so used to doing that all the time the only guy I'm with here today. Find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina, Matty Lane. It's just, just, it's just the two of us, buddy.
1: Yeah, and I'm sad. I'm disappointed. Unfortunately, the most handsome, the eldest, the smartest member of this crew is not with us today. He's off solving world hunger, I think, or something along those lines. So,
0: Craig's out. out- to, he's going to defeat the the coronavirus. Like that's what's happening.
1: Two birds, one stone, I think. So you will not hear Craig Stout's beautiful voice in this podcast. You just get Kent and I, and I'm going to try to keep it together, but it sounds like college football is not happening this year, and I am devastated. This saddens me to my core. So when that news does get officially announced, that is going to be a very sad moment in time. So this has not been a great weekend for my mental health, and I have no Craig Stout to bring me up at this point in time, so I guess I'm throwing it back to you, Kent.
0: Yeah, just just let it all out, pal. I think the good news for us is like I think we could probably move the deadline for the KC draft guide up a little bit <laughs> because you know, we'll we'll be able to provide you in- insights on all the film that's already happened. So maybe there's a chance we get the KC draft guide up a little bit quicker, but yeah, I'd rather I'd much rather have college football, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be happening. We're really hoping for an NFL season. That would be very beneficial. I think to all of us and all of our own mental health as well, uh, and you guys have some questions about our favorite NFL football team, the Kansas City Chiefs, our guy Joe Moore, who I th- my guy is out here. Just he designed the logo for the AP laboratory for our new Twitter account. You can go to the AP laboratory on Twitter and find that you can see his fantastic work. He did all these art write-ups and I just wanted to give him a shout out. Follow him at Joe Moore because the man is wicked talent, wickedly talented. Um, He asks who are the chiefs most likely to lose doing to due to being unable to afford their upcoming contracts. Traverius Ward, Eric Fisher or Travis Kelsey.
1: So there is zero chance the Chiefs are going to lose Travis Kelsey. I think they are going to make him a Chiefs probably for as long as he can play football, but especially next year. I don't think they're going to lose Travis Kelsey in the middle of this kind of Super Bowl window while he's still performing at a high level. I think the answer is Charvarius Ward. And the, he's the cheapest guy of this group. They can put the tender on him, whether whatever round they want to put it on there. They can put it on Charverius Ward. So he doesn't have to be super expensive. You just have to worry about another team coming over to sign him, pay him more money. But here's the conundrum you get into. If Charvarius Ward plays really good again and you want to put the second round tender on him, that means that another team to only have to pay a second round pick to get a really good corner. If he plays good enough to be worthy of the second round tender, you are pretty much going to be forced into paying him. You're not going to be able to give him a small salary and just stop a team from trading or giving up a second round pick to get a number one, borderline number two type of corner onto your team. If he doesn't play that well, you're either forced to give him a lower round tender or just let him walk. It's like it's just you're up against the wall here with this one, because if he plays good, you're going to be forced to pay him. If he doesn't play as good, then what is the point of keeping him around? I think it's going to be really hard for the Chiefs to make his contract work if he plays up to the same level that a lot of people think he's going to.
0: They could put a first round tender on him for four point six million dollars. It looks like so there is. I mean, it does like it's not going to be a second round tender. It's probably like the second round tender is three point two five million dollars. The first round tender is four point six. So they could probably get away with that. Um, but I do agree. I think you know. I, I think Charvarius Ward is probably going to be the odd man out in this situation. Eric Fisher is a close one too, though, um, just because you know. It, You've got he—he's a guy that can save some cap next year. The—the the difference between you know a guy like Charvarius Ward and you know like an Eric Fisher or Travis Kelsey is like you're—you're you're having to add cap on a Charvarius Ward type deal. Eric Fisher right now you have him under control right now. Uh, it's just a matter of you can save money. And as as the roster is currently constructed, they're seventeen million dollars over the cap for twenty twenty right now or twenty twenty one right now. So there's going to be some decisions they got to make to try to play some cuts uh, on this football team. Steve Gray Jr. asked, oh, wait, Maddie, did you have something else you wanted to add to that?
1: Yeah, I was just going to come back. because I didn't know you were going to talk about Eric Fisher, but with Eric Fisher, I would have said him about two weeks ago. But with the news of Lucas Nyang opting out, I think Eric Fisher may be a little bit more important to the team next year. And I believe our next question is going to let us dive a little bit deeper into that kit.
0: Why? Yes, it is because Steve Gray Jr. asks, "What is the impact of Lucas Niang's opt out on how the Chiefs will address the tackle position in 2021?" What a fantastic transition! It definitely does throw a wrench in things because of what I just mentioned. The Chiefs have some tough decisions to make with their with their with their uh, salary cap because they are going to have to make some adjustments there, and they're going to have to get you know pretty significantly under, even after carrying over 13 million dollars, which is what they can do right now. It does look like. The Chiefs are going to be seventeen million dollars over the cap, so they're going to have some work to do to figure that out. Um, I think you know the decision you know falls in a lot of different areas. What happens to to Mitchell Schwartz? What does Mitchell Schwartz's future look like? Does he want to continue to play? Um, do the Chiefs feel that they have to make a cut to you know do they have to move on from Eric Fisher to make you know the salary cap situation work? Um, the good news about the Lucas Yank situation, though, is the Chiefs get him for four years after this after this opt-out year, which was going to be a redshirt. Anyway, he gets healthy gets to rework his body. He's been in the rooms for the entire off-season. He has an idea of some of the things that they're going to expect of him. There's some value in that. So he, he still don't you know, he still very well could be in the mix in 2021 and play a, a significant role in this.
1: So I first want to say like Lucas Yang feels the most comfortable protecting himself, his family and opting out of the season. Good for him. Like absolute kudos to him for being strong enough, being feeling comfortable in his decision to do that round of applause. Every player that felt that way should have done it next from the chiefs perspective. This is kind of a, big wrench, I think, thrown in the whole plan because now Lucas Niang, who was definitely a more developmental tackle, or if you're moving him to offensive guard, needed the chance to learn that position, is no longer going to be in the building. He's no longer going to be getting that work with the team. Sure, he can stay in shape. He can work out on his own. He can find an offensive line coach to help him kind of get going. All that's possible, but he doesn't get to be with the team. So now, if you're expecting him to come in and be a starter next year, no matter where it is in the off Offensive line, like I think most fans and I would assume the team were thinking, he's now going to be over a year removed from football because remember, he's coming off of a hip injury that took the last half of his college season before coming out to the NFL draft. He's going to be over a year removed from football. He's going to be either playing offensive tackle or a new position, offensive guard, it's going to be really hard to just throw him to the wolves and say, you're the starting left tackle, or you're the starting right tackle without wanting to invest heavily in the same position yet again, next year. I just think it's a lot of eggs in the basket that now definitely got rustled a little bit and you don't know what you're going to get with him next year or how ready he's going to be. So that makes the ability to keep, or the reason to keep Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz next season that much higher in my opinion.
0: Van is hardcore. asks Who has more receiving yards, McCole Hardman or Clyde Edwards Hilaire? So, I, yeah, that that's a
1: fire take right there. I think uh, Lewis Riddick is off talking about how Clyde Edwards Hilaire should be one of the, or be the top pick in fantasy football this year. And guys, Lewis Riddick's been pretty on top of Chiefs rookies that were coming in to be pretty good. So don't bat your eyes at that, thinking that it, he's just spouting off, but. Last year, LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams, I think, combined for about 400 receiving yards, and that would have been less than McColl Hardman. I do think that Clyde Hilaire is going to get more than either Damian Williams or LaShawn McCoy, and probably both combined. I think he's a better receiver than both of them, and I think the Chiefs specifically looked for his particular skill set to bring into the team. So I do think he tops them, but McColl Hardman should also have about the same, if not more, yards next year. It all depends on how the targets get divvied up. It's going to be real tight, but I'm going to lean towards McCole Hardman just because he does present those explosive plays the Chiefs will try to give him a chance, but I think it'll be real tight.
0: Okay. Okay. Kareem Hunt, his last year in Kansas City. He was pacing for 550 receiving yards. Last year, McCole Hardman had five hundred and thirty eight receiving yards. The the thing that you're the thing to monitor with this is a couple things. You gotta figure out is McCole Hardman's production going to be closer to what it was when Tyreek Hill wasn't on the field, which is where he got the lion's share of his production, or is it going to look closer to what it was when Tyreek Hill was on the field? I think that's I think that's a really tough line to navigate. How like what's his usage going to be? Is his volume going to be there? Because the volume was more available to him without Tyree Kill. So he's got to fight through Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson to get the kind of production that he had last last year when Tyree Kill was out. That's a tough situation to be in. I think Clyde Edwards, Alaire is a better pass catcher and route runner and receiver than cream hunt and cream hunt was pacing for 550 yards as the bell cow in his second year uh, as a running back before his release. I'm, I'm telling you this line is fantastic. This, this guy like this is very even money. I, I think I'm going to go with McColl because of the per play production is so high. If the volume is even there a little bit more, he should be in fantastic shape and, and be a six seven hundred yard receiver. That being said, Clyde's going to get a lot of touches. He's going to get a lot of opportunities. Pat's going to work down to him. They're going to isolate him on linebackers and try to actively feed him in the passing game. It's a closer line than you think, uh, but both of them should have really solid years. Like I would not be stunned to see both of them in that seven hundred yard range. Frankly, and if that's the case, the Chiefs are scoring a billion points this year and Patrick Mahomes is winning the MVP, but fantastic question and fantastic line. B. Gwynn asks if the coronavirus were to affect the coaching staff for a or some games, who do you think would take over as the head coach offensive coordinator in DC if those were affected? Okay, head coach. This is going to sound crazy because Eric B is getting all these head coach candidacies uh, is a head coach candidate in, in, in deservedly. So and he's going to get a job next year. Dave Tobe has a title though. I believe Dave Tobe is the associate head coach or some kind. Of, he has some kind of head coach attached to his title. I don't think they're going to bypass him. They would probably hand it over to Dave Tobe. Uh, weirdly enough offensive coordinator Mike Kafka's lead in that room. If something happens to Eric B defensive coordinator Brendan Daly.
1: For me, I actually think the head coach would go to Steve Spagnolo because he's the only guy that's been there. He's the only guy on the staff that has the experience of dealing with the clock, dealing with everything happening at the same time. He has plenty of experience as a head coach. It makes the most sense to me to have him step in for Andy Reid. That also means you're replacing your offensive coordinator. Like, let's not kid ourselves, Andy Reid runs the offense. You let bien who needs some more experience running the offense, you know, by himself. He would be your full offensive coordinator now. And then you would replace your defensive coordinator. I would agree with Brendan Daly because I think they've been pretty clear that he's being groomed to be the next guy up after Spagnolo. I do think Tobe's a good guess because he is got the title. He's a guy usually a special teams coach could probably have a little bit more time to look over every side of the ball. They're already used to dealing with guys on the offensive side and the defensive side of the football. Unlike, you know, a specific side coach. But just Steve Spegnol's experience to me, I think, would be the guy. I don't think you could skip over a guy with actual experience on your roster, especially at this level, and give it to somebody else.
0: Justin D. Spear asks, what's the next Patrick Mahomes passive aggressive revenge gesture? My vote is number four player in the NFL.
1: Oh, I think you're going to see it early. I think when the Chiefs beat the Ravens, he's going to do the Tyron Matthew point to his head and look right at Lamar Jackson, who is going to be sitting on the sideline in his third loss to the
0: Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is throwing four touchdowns against the Ravens and counting them on his hands on the way, on the way into number four, because number four is the last time he's on the field for the game because Chad and just bat you know, he's getting some garbage time points because they just boat raced him. Jeff pars. Can each of you name three non chiefs who are your favorite players to watch and or study?
1: Whoa, this is a, this is a question to come off the top rope with when I don't look at these beforehand. Um, Aaron Donald, is one of the most fun players to ever watch play football because he does not move like any other human being. You would assume a 280-pound defensive tackle would get manhandled by 320-pound mammoths. No, it just simply doesn't happen. That's if they get their hands on him. So Aaron Donaldson, a number one for me. I really do like Jalen Ramsey. He's not always playing 100%. He doesn't always have his best stuff. But man, when you get the really good Jalen Ramsey game, there's not many cornerbacks that play better than him. So he's up there. And my final one, God, I really don't know here. I think we are going to go with Fred Warner because I really wanted the Chiefs to take him. And anytime I get to watch Fred Warner, I take a chance to sit down and just watch this man run all over the field as like a second-year player looking that good at football.
0: Uh, Jair Alexander is like one of my favorite players to watch. And like he's a very good football player and he's going to continue to ascend and be one of the – I mean, he's – He's going to be pushing for one of the top cornerbacks in football over the next couple of years. Uh, his attitude, the way he plays the game, though, is just as much as fun to watch, and he's extremely competitive. Um, I still and it's probably just it's admiration because it hasn't been as enjoyable to watch, but Aaron Rodgers, I, I I don't like to watch some of his demise, which is very obviously true. Like it's not just a like it's not a joke. He's just he's actually regressed and not as risk-averse as it used to be. It's or not as he's more he's he's more risk-averse. Sorry, Um, but I I still I I have just I want to watch Aaron Rodgers for those splash plays that he makes and I saved my last one (laughs) Maddie's gonna laugh. It's a guilty pleasure. (laughs) Josh Allen It's not a bad one. It's so fascinating. Like I'm not just saying like I, I obviously I want to watch the top tier players, but like there's a difference between those guys and my favorite ones to watch and the Josh Allen experience is so fascinating from top to bottom. Some of the things that he does are are very difficult to do. Some of the things that he does are very difficult to do. <laughs> How can you be that bad, but I, I love it I love the whole thing and like I'm rooting for him honestly I want him to go out and have success I want him to you know go out and 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 continue to get better because watching him get better would be a lot of fun to see for a lot of different reasons because you know some factions of the internet are ready to dunk on him entirely I get my jokes off too sometimes don't get me wrong but I'm also here to see him you know develop and see what he's made of because I I do think there's some things in there that you can't teach and you can't coach uh, and there's Problem is, there's some things that haven't been taught or coached in there, too. So uh, he's he's one of my favorites, honestly.
1: I got one more, and this one's a little bit of a projection. But uh, Makai Becton, if he can give me oh. even 80% of what I saw in college, he is going to be hands down one an appointment C television. It's not always perfect. But those couple times you get this man isolated on a poor linebacker or an undersized edge and get to watch them go flying like it's the Royal Rumble or something like that. Oh, so worth it.
0: Uh, I'm right there with you. I I think we were both pretty high on him when, if I remember correctly, I think Correct. both of us got like we wound up putting him in like the top five or something of the KC draft guide, if I remember right. And I don't have I, dude. I tell you what, I don't feel bad about that at all. Like at all, no regrets. I am all in on that guy. I love him. All right, we're gonna take a break and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this. <laughs> All right, we are continuing to answer your questions from Twitter. Don Beal 32 asks what's more likely Eric Fisher being cut next year or Mitchell Schwartz retiring?
1: Well, given what we kind of talked about at the top of the podcast, I would have said that Eric Fisher being cut was probably more likely. But now just with Lucas Niang opting out, being a little bit less certain if you can if you can choose to let one of your starting offensive tackles to go without having that hair ready to go with the year under his belt. I'm going to say Mitchell Schwartz retiring. I don't think the Chiefs are going to cut Eric Fisher. I do think Mitchell Schwartz has been working through some pains. You know, he's an older player. I think his back hasn't always felt great. His hips always haven't felt great. Coming off back-to-back championships, why not head out on a high road, go down as being one of the best right tackles for this era with two rings on your finger.
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of leaning that way too, but you know, ask me in a week because things keep changing drastically the way everything's been going. We make a prediction today. Tomorrow something happens. Uh who knows. Also, real quick, shout out BK for getting married. Brandon Kylie, friend of the show, at, at at times member of the show. Get, the most uh, handsome get, member of the show on, to ever grace. Getting engaged. Congrats, my guy. Sorry. Should have loved the show with that, honestly. Uh, Brandon four twenty two with drafting Willie Gay. What does that mean for Ben Neiman's role on defense?
1: Hopefully, it means the end of it. Like I, I don't <laughs> think that I don't think that many people are clamoring for more Ben Neiman on defense. I think we saw that last year. He just simply is too small. To hold up versus the run, and he's not really a good enough athlete to make a big difference in coverage. I don't think that he's got the best feeling zone to even make up for that lack of athleticism. I I don't see what Ben Neiman's point is to the defense if you have a guy that is more athletic, bigger, and better in coverage than you are. So, Ben Neiman's a depth guy that's there for special teams, hopefully.
0: I know there is one state in particular who has some very strong Ben Neiman takes? still. I will say that wasted motion asks Adalberto Mondesi shows up at Chiefs training camp. Where do you line him up to have him tape? Take some reps wide receiver, cornerback, safety or quarterback? Uh, I think I think the answer is probably receiver Um, just because I he's 185. He's not big enough to be a safety. He's not definitely not going to play quarterback. There's just too much of an of a learning gap, and I think his skill set probably best works as a wide receiver. He's very fast, good short area, quickness, good change of direction ability like you could probably put him at cornerback, too, but I think I'd rather just put him at receiver Uh, JP Phillips. We've had season tickets for years now. Obviously, we won't be an arrowhead for games this year. Any suggestions traditions that we should start This season to get the most out of game day at home?
1: Ooh, this is tricky because I kind of had to go through a little bit of a change here when I was younger, especially living with the family near everybody in Kansas City. I had kind of one thing that I did every single weekend. Now that I've moved, I have my family going on, but we now live in obviously Carolina. It's kind of hard to nail down what your game day tradition is going to be at home, especially if you have kids or anything like that. It really throws a wrench in there. So like, I don't really have a lot of advice here. Find what works for you. Find what kind of keeps your mind off of waiting for the game when you're stuck at home. I think that's a big thing, especially where I am now being another hour ahead. It feels like I wait an eternity for football to start. So I have tried really hard to stay active and busy in the mornings till the games start. That's the best thing I can say is just keep your mind off of it because nothing is worse than sitting around for hours at home just waiting for it to start. Please do not watch whatever the ESPN or NFL Network broadcast is leading up to games because that is just, that is just cruel, unusual punishment to yourself.
0: A <laughs> um, couple things. You should, uh, if, you've got, if you've got friends or family close, get together and have a Friendsgiving for week one of the season. Kick things off the right way i do that with my friends every year we have a, it's called texas thanksgiving is what we call it uh, and so we get a turkey and we all bring sides and desserts and we just we kick off the season with a big friendsgiving it's just a fun way to start the thing until until you know you, it, it cuts the time between now and and uh, real thanksgiving it makes it a little bit easier so just do that find some find some ways to do, just kind of mix things up with your friends one of the other suggestions i would have Uh, Is is find a way to get nfl red zone. So if you're a streamer Go to sling get sling uh, Get your nfl network if they still have it and then one of their packages for like ten bucks a month You can buy nfl red zone, and it's basically the best part of um, Sunday ticket For ten bucks It is fantastic and it will make your it'll make your watching experience that much better Those are my only two suggestions um, I would like to hear if anybody has some interesting suggestions or you know some traditions that they do. I'd like to hear them. So like just hit us up at the AP laboratory. I'd love to hear them. we'll, we'll try to retweet and plug them because I am kind of curious to see what all your traditions are out there. Brian Dorfler over under on total covid 19 games forfeited this year for the entire NFL at three and a half.
1: I'm going to go under. I think that if you get to the point where teams are having to forfeit entire games, I think you are not going to continue to see the whole season. And I just don't think the NFL is going to let that happen. Like, I think the NFL owners are would put their foot down before any team was allowed to forfeit a whole game. They would make them find a way to fix it. They would give them every possible out to not forfeit the game they could.
0: I'm going to go under as well. Uh, I mean, MLB hasn't seen a team forfeit yet. Um, They're rescheduling. They're moving some things around. They kind of got their stuff in order now. It seems like you know, things are might be maybe heading in the right direction except for the Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals. shocker, Um, but I I do think that um, I do think that there's I I don't think there's going to be a forfeited game this season. I don't think so. They're probably I, I wouldn't be stunned if there's some adjustments to the schedule. I wouldn't be stunned if they added a week to the season or two weeks to the season before the playoffs started, but I do think that they're going to be able to get through this entire thing. I, I think I said this a couple of weeks. So I was talking to somebody and they you know, one of the values and benefits of the NFL is they don't have to do this on a day to day basis for game for game day. They have a week in between games and that's extremely valuable for what they're about to try to do. Wes Burns asks, this one's for Chief in Carolina. Are you more scared of Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson long term as the main quarterback that can unseat the Chiefs' dominance of the AFC? Well, I'm going to stop you right there because Lamar Jackson
1: is no main quarterback. Like, if Lamar Jackson is upsetting the Chiefs as the dominant force of the AFC, it's the Ravens' defense and run game that is doing it, not the quarterback of Lamar Jackson. So, de facto answer is Deshaun Watson. The only thing is Deshaun Watson has to get away from Bill O'Brien to even have a chance to do this. He has to go to another team in the AFC to beat the Chiefs. Like He is not going to pull it off with that Texans roster the way they are making decisions and spending money right now. So really, I don't see either one of these guys being the reason that a team starts beating the Chiefs. If I had to pick one, yeah, I think the Baltimore Ravens are a good enough franchise to put a team around Lamar Jackson and carry him to his first playoff victory even if it does happen to be over the Chiefs. Doubtful, judging by what we've seen his 0-2 start be, but maybe they can drag him to his first playoff win where he doesn't cost him the game in the first half and then give them an actual chance against the Chiefs in the playoffs. Because I think we saw what happens with Watson and Mahomes going head-to-head.
0: I think the answer is Deshaun. I do want to ask you this, Maddie, because Deshaun Watson is looking for a short-term deal, which I think is funny. He's basically like... He doesn't want to hitch himself to the Bill O'Brien wagon anywhere, but this is my question for you. Which AFC team would you least want to see Deshaun Watson on?
1: you dropping me on this in the middle of a podcast and expecting know, me not to hit you with like 35 seconds of dead air as I work through every single one of these. Uh, Denver Broncos. I do not want to see Deshaun Watson getting to throw the ball to those weapons. I think letting him throw YOLO balls like he tends to do to Cortland Sutton for four quarters would end very poorly for a lot of teams that face him. And I just wouldn't want to face those weapons with Deshaun Watson twice a year if I could avoid it.
0: I'm rooting for Josh Allen. I you know I want to see him improve. I want to see. I really want to see him have success. I think it'd be cool to see. And I wasn't even like a, I was a I was a critic I was a critic of him too. Uh, all that being said, all that I said about Josh Allen earlier, if if Deshaun was on the Bills, that's a very well run organization, and Deshaun would have a ton of talent around him. That could be a scary proposition uh because there's just so much talent on that football team. Well actually,
1: actually just just switch Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson and I think Deshaun Watson has a better chance to beat the Chiefs. You put him on the Ooh. Ravens, you give that de- you put that defense, run game and offensive line all around him, like I think that team becomes more scary than it is right now with Lamar Jackson. They would have to tweak the offense because it's clearly catered to you know Lamar Jackson's running ability. But Deshaun Watson, with those things, you just got to eventually add some more receiving weapons for, but that would be a lot scarier to me than where either one of them are right now.
0: All right, Captain Corbin asks, who are the top three safeties in the league going into next season? And does Tyron Matthew make the cut?
1: Man, you guys are hitting me with the real thankers this week, and I did not do my homework (laughs) leading up to this podcast.
0: Time out, time out, time out real quick. I think it's great, and I really hope that there's some people out there that know that you don't read the questions beforehand and are trying to spring these on us in order to throw you off, because honestly, that would be a phenomenal bit. If like there's a game to challenge Matt Lane to a point where he's stuck and has to admit that he hasn't read the questions because you do it every week and it's great.
1: I mean, yeah, I, there's no... I'm not afraid to say it. I haven't read it. But thank you for filibustering a little bit for me. Uh, my top three safeties right <laughs> now are Tyron Matthews there. I'm not going to say he's number one. I'm not going to order these guys. but I'm going to put Tyron Matthews in there. I am going to put Derwin James in there. And I think my final slot, and this was close, is going to go to Harrison Smith and... The issue was I wanted to put Jamal Adams in there, but I kind of tried to break it up into guys that I thought were best at each part of what a safety does. And I don't think there's a dominant center fielder, but Harrison Smith is really good playing split safeties and he can kick down. He plays the flat incredibly well, but he has good enough range and ball skills on the back end. So he's still a really good deep safety. Tyron Matthews, clearly the best safety in the slot. I think Derwin James' athleticism makes him slightly better than Jamal Adams as your typical strong safety, box safety. And I just kind of have a huge crush on Derwin James, the player. So when he's healthy, I think I would take him over
0: Jamal Adams. So that's why those are my top three. I knew you were going Derwin James. I'm going to go Derwin James too, as well. By the way, Um, I am going to go Tyron Matthew, and then I'm going to go Kevin Byard. Ball production. 17 interceptions in his career. Very high ball production for a Kevin Byard. He's had a really nice career, and I think he just got paid, if I remember correct. Uh, Ultigrind asks, over-under on Derek Nottie's sacks, set at four and a half.
1: I think it's going to be under. I think as long as you don't get any major injuries, I do think Derek Nottie will still be the guy that is coming off the field a ton in pass-rushing situations. He won't get a ton of attention when he's rushing the passer when he is on the field and i don't think that he's entirely unable to rush the passer he's just not great at it and i think that you're going to see guys like chris jones frank clark taco charlton they're going to get to the quarterback just a little bit faster than he can and i do think the games and stuff that the chiefs are going to run up front are going to use naughty as the guy to take up blockers and not get him the free run at the quarterback like some of these other guys are going to get so under four and a half however he's coming down with another interception
0: I yeah, I don't think you know, Derek Noddy's not going to be a guy that's going to get sack production. In fact, if he had four and a half sacks that'd be four and a half times his career production uh, at as far as sacks is concerned, I, but Derek Noddy is an invaluable football player on this team. He does a lot of things this football team needs him to do and like he does like he did say like my did say he's the guy that's helping eat up blocks helping, you know, create space for some of these twists and stunts to to actually work. So he's doing the dirty work in that regard too. All right. That is going to do it for the mailbag edition. Craig will be back maybe on Tuesday. I'm not sure about that. I shouldn't speak so quickly on that, but you might hear from him. If not, thank you guys for listening to us. Uh, We do genuinely appreciate it and we will catch you later.
1: There is zero chance this modesty character weighs 185 pounds.